Hello and welcome to Cloud Automation Weekly. My name is Thorsten Höger and I'm here to talk about automating your AWS cloud infrastructure. Today I'm joined by Casey Lee to talk about the deployment pipeline reference architecture. Casey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thorsten. Well, folks are just meeting you for the first time. Could you share a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, so I, I work at AWS. I'm a, a DevOps consultant, and I help work with um, some of the uh, uh, some of our customers who are uh, trying to improve their speed and safety of software delivery within their organization. Uh, primarily, larger enterprises are the customers that I get the privilege of working with the most. Um, I've I've only been at AWS for uh, about um, six months, but I've been consulting on the platform uh, for over eight years um, and uh, had the privilege of being on the part of the um, AWS Hero community uh, for uh, about five years uh, in during that time before joining AWS. Perfect. And as I already said, we we're talking about the deployment pipeline reference architecture or DPRA because AWS loves acronyms. Absolutely. So what is it? What is it? Yeah. So uh, the challenge that we were trying to solve was um, communicate to uh, customers uh, best practices for what a deployment pipeline looks like and how to build a deployment pipeline. And so it is a, uh, a publication that consists of guidance for uh, what the various stages and actions that ought to exist inside of a deployment pipeline so that customers can achieve that speed and safety they're looking for along with reference implementations that not just talk about what a pipeline should look like, but also demonstrate how to build one using a uh, set of tools. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Um, I really love when you um, yeah, demonstrated this the first time. I was like, yeah, that's, that's really cool. I see why you did this because yeah, people are asking and there's little guidance out there. So I really love that you're putting this out. Um, yeah, you also reference because just getting the links first. So there are builders library articles on this um, from Claire Ligori and you reference them on the website. I will put them in the show notes too, because I think they're also recommended reading for deployment pipelines. But maybe you want to guide us a little bit through this refer reference architecture. What do you think a pipeline should lo look like? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Thanks for calling out the um, builders um, articles from Claire. Uh, those those were uh, foundational to uh, a lot of the opinions that you see in the deployment pipeline reference architecture. Uh, and, and so, uh, first of all, the the thing to 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 note with the the DPRA is that um, there will be many of these. They're all going to be published in one spot. That URL pipelines.devops.aws.dev. Uh, but uh, right now, the only uh, reference architecture that exists is the application pipeline, which is your most traditional pipeline, taking a an API or web app and running it through the series of um, steps necessary to deliver that to production. Um, but we're, we're um, there will be other uh, pipeline types covered by that: uh, compute image pipelines, um, account fleet management pipelines dynamic configuration pipelines. Um, so we can talk about those a bit in detail later, but uh, the application pipeline, the one that's up there right now, goes into depth in covering the different um, actions and stages uh, as a part of a, an application deployment. And so that that actually starts all the way back in the um, local, local um, development environment uh, because there's certain activities that we want fast feedback on as a developer right away. Um, so that includes things like 
uh, being able to build the code, run unit tests, do code quality uh, checks using whatever tool the organization's using, but then also doing things like um, secrets detection and um, SAS, static application security testing. Um, so we want to give, we want to push that as far left as possible, give devs early feedback, even before they commit code. So we see, um, although that sits outside the deployment pipeline, those tools are, are where the whole conversation starts. Um, and then talking about some of the other opinions that go throughout the stages of the pipeline, we start with um, opinions on what what uh, gets stored as source code and where it gets stored. So like, for example, um, your test code, uh, whether that's unit tests or integration tests or an end test should be stored in the same repository as your application code. Uh, it's, it's called out as an anti-pattern to have um, test code stored in a separate repository. Really, we wanna be able to change the application code and the um, test code together. Uh, same with infrastructure code. Your infrastructure code ought to be stored in the same repo as your application code uh, so that those can change together. Uh, so if you're doing CDK, for example, your CDK code ought to be in the same uh, repo as your, as your app code. Um, let me pause there, though. I'm curious, uh, any, uh, do you have any um, opinions on any of that so far? So for storing everything in a repo, I think that's perfect. That's what I discussed um, in previous episodes um, a lot. Um, that needs to be there, I think. And especially for code and infrastructure code, or so application code and infrastructure code, given the future of serverless and all the things, there's no other way because what's application code and what's infrastructure code in a serverless application? So it's so, yeah, it's both. So both is both. So there is no way to store it in separate repositories. Right on. Um, I, I'd be curious to get your opinion on another piece here. Uh, configuration. So this was a, a, a this was actually um, pretty, um, there was a lot of debate internally around this one. Uh, so the the guidance was that configuration ought to be stored in the source code as well. Um, but then like the conversation of feature flags comes up and it's like, well, how much of that configuration code goes in the source code? Uh, and so what we're actually doing is it, the, the guidance is this, any um, build and deploy time configuration goes in the code and is managed through CDK, we injected as environment variables or SSM parameters or whatever the case may be. But there is an exception for runtime configuration, configuration that might change after the deployment of the application. And so, uh, for example, if you're using AWS app config for doing feature flags, uh, those would exist outside of that. But I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. Any opinions on configuration and, and storing in the code? Yeah, a lot. That would have been my next question. What about configuration? Because I get this um, a lot when, when consulting um, their customers on, on this topic. And I think, yeah, first of all, I think there needs to be the separation. Like feature flags are an exception, but everything else belongs into the same repository. So storing your whole configuration, because a lot of parts of the configuration is basically CDK configuration, if you're using CDK, for example. So it's part of your stack properties. And if you store it somewhere else, it's like, yeah, where? Where mm. do we store it? How, who is changing it? And how do we adhere to a process? Because everything's in a process in a repository. We have four eyes principle using pull requests. We have documentation, what happened and why it happened and when it happened. We can have checks, we can have change boards and all the things. And then we have configuration that out of nowhere, it just appears. That's why I think configuration needs to go into repository and even for secrets. And then it's mm. like, Oh, mm. how does this happen? Yes, it could happen. 
There's something called encryption. It was invented some decades ago, so yeah. or centuries ago, so that we can use encryption. So what I'm always doing is everything. Secrets are configuration. It's just a special type yeah. of configuration. It's configuration you don't want to share with the public, but it's still configuration. So it goes into the same repository, but encrypted. Normally, I'm using Mozilla Zops using a KMS key in my target environment. So it is stored, it is versioned, but I can make sure that you can only read it if you have access to your target environment. And if you have access to your target environment, I don't care if you can read it because you can just look into Secrets Manager. Uh, I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that's actually missing from the DPRA and I'm making a note that uh, I think we need to address that is that Secrets Management um, is, is mostly omitted from the DPRA. We talk about uh, secret detection, like if you're committing secrets unencrypted, uh, but no guidance for how to manage secrets in configuration. So um, thanks for bringing that up. I think we we need to add that to the DPRA. Uh, perfect, because I always think like my example is, yeah, you're connecting to a third party application. So in your configuration, and this is the URL, this is the username, this is mm -hmm. the port you're using, and a token, it just appears. Mm -hmm. So why? What's the difference between the token and the username and the host of a third party besides the thing that one of it is secret? Right. But it's the same type of information. It's a configuration that the application needs to work. Cool. I like it. Yeah, thank you. Um, cool. So, so after we get through the source stage, now we actually uh, get into the actions of the first um, build steps. Uh, and so we've got things that you'd expect to see in here. We're compiling code, we're running unit testing, we're doing code quality and um, secrets detection, uh, but then also recommending uh, things such as um, SAST is being uh, run as a part of the build stage, um, packaging an artifact once and then publishing it to an artifact repository. Uh, we don't wanna repackage artifacts at each in each environment. We wanna package once, put it to a trusted repo and then deploy into those other environments from that trusted um, repository manager. Uh, and then uh, things such as um, SEA, um, software composition analysis ought to be done. Uh, looking at all of your dependencies and looking for any CVEs related to any dependencies. Uh, and then generation of an SBOM, software bill of materials that gets published as a, into the artifact manager along with the artifact so that we've got a record of all of those dependencies to monitor during the life uh, of that software. So that's that's the build stage. Um, uh, we then move into, there's three environments that are targeted uh, in the in the pipeline, um, a beta stage, gamma stage, and a prod stage. Uh, and and these, these are um, AWS terms, Amazon terms. Uh, Claire talks a bit about those in the uh, builder's article she published. Um, so I'd point to those to, to understand more about those. But the idea is that uh, you want to make sure that um, the software that you're about to release to production is ready for production. And so each of these environments have a different responsibility in uh, validating the readiness of the software. Uh, one thing to point out um, is that uh, the, the, these environments are not ephemeral. Um, there was some conversation that uh, Vlad and I were having on Twitter. He, he Vlad, one of the other uh, AWS container heroes, uh, Went, did a nice deep dive in the DPRA, provided some awesome feedback uh, that we've we've gone through and, and started applying um, into the uh, future revisions of this. Uh, but one of the things that uh, he and I talked about was that 
it wasn't clear whether the DPRA is is advocating for ephemeral environments where every pipeline execution creates its own temporary environment just for that execution and then destroys it or not. And, and that's not the case. Uh, the idea is that you have separate accounts that have been provisioned for this um, uh, pipeline and those accounts are updated as the uh, pipeline executes. So we've got a beta environment which ought to be a separate account. And in that environment, we're um, configuring the infrastructure uh, through whatever infrastructure's code is, is used, whether that's CDK or Terraform or whatnot, um, providing any database deployments that need to be uh, handled. So that's creation of tables, updates of tables, and likewise creation and updates of data in those databases, um, deploying the software into that environment, and then running uh, a set of automated tests to verify that, that that software operates as expected within that environment. Yeah, that's perfect. I'm so happy that you've written it down because that's what I'm discussing with customers so often. Like, how do we, how should we do this? It's like, now there's an article and there, there's a reference architecture. Read this and then we talk again. Mm, right on. Um, uh, so one of the things that's that's um, interesting about this also is that we're trying, we, we are recommending the same um, deployment mechanism through all environments. So in uh, we, we haven't talked to, uh, yet about the reference implementations, but the, the reference implementation that's out here right now for the app pipeline is using CDK pipelines. Um, and it's it's an ECS application uh, or using code deploy to, to manage the deployment. Uh, into the different environments. And one of the things that each environment ought to have is this idea of, first of all, uh, progressive deployments. So we're not just updating the entire environment at once. We are incrementally uh, increasing the percentage of traffic that is going to the new deployment. And we are monitoring, uh, in this case, monitoring CloudWatch alarms for that application and giving an opportunity for the application to bake. We're, we, we've got, so th these pipelines take a, a bit of time to get through, but that's because we're actually allowing each of these environments an extended deployment time before we say, okay, that environment's good. We've given enough time. We've moved all traffic to the new deployment uh, and we can move on to the next environment. Um, and then one, one last thing that each of these environments has that uh, is discussed a little bit further in detail uh, later on in the reference architecture is this idea of automated rollbacks. It's not enough to just fail the pipeline. Once you've started deployments, if you hit, if you get to an environment and um, you you determine that it is in fact not uh, fit for deployment, you you've started that uh, bake time and then some alarms start triggering, you, you need to automate the rollback as well to get that environment back to a healthy state. And so that's also recommended and covered in the reference. Yeah, that's perfect. And that's where one of my biggest question comes in because you advise this in the DPRA, you advise this in the Builders Library articles, but the tooling does not really support it. So ha given CloudFormation, for example. Mm. So if the CloudFormation deployment is done, which means my pipeline execution can proceed to the next step, like running integration tests, running whatever tests on the environment, means my CloudFormation deployment needs to be done. But if it's done, I cannot roll back. So there's yeah. no feature like CloudFormation, please go to the version before. Right, yeah, no, you bring up a really good point. So, um, so there could be a bake time though, before you start that testing. Uh, and, and, and I know that doesn't cover 
the, the use case, if I understand what you're talking about is, okay, even if you take, let's say it takes an hour to do that, that progressive deployment into that environment. So we're using code deploy and we're doing traffic shifting and we get all the way through that an hour later. And then we start our integration test. What you're, challenge, what you're asking is, well, how do I trigger an automatic rollback if those tests fail? Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. And you're right. Code pipeline has no affordance for automated rollbacks. Um, at that point. And yeah, that's a, that's a not only code pipeline. And um, no matter which tooling I'm using, if I'm deploying using CloudFormation, normally I'm executing step by step. So using an AWS CloudFormation deploy. And this command returns the moment the CloudFormation deploy is done. Even if I would paralyze it, there's no way to know that, yeah, CloudFormation is done deploying. So there is no bake time in CloudFormation. It is in code deploy if I'm using code deploy for this part. But it's not like, Oh yeah, please CloudFormation do the whole deploy, but instead of update complete or update failed, just wait for amount of time or wait until I tell you it's done. So, so that's exactly, so I cannot do this bake time natively in CloudFormation or rolling back if something fails after it. Yep. Um, so there's, there's a couple, uh, couple things in there that you do have available. Unfortunately, um, they don't work that well together. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about that. You're, you're bringing up a really like a, a rough edge there of things. So with CloudFormation, you do have the ability to configure automated rollback. You can have CloudFormation monitor an alarm. And if an alarm triggers during that CloudFormation deployment, it will automatically trigger a rollback of that CloudFormation stack. But but there's a couple of problems with that. One, that's not supported through CDK currently. Uh, so if you're a CDK uh, um organization, then you can't take advantage of that. Um, the other challenge is if you are using code deploy, you can trigger the deployment, but then if it takes 30 minutes for the deployment to roll out, CloudFormation doesn't wait. And that, that's what you're that's what you're saying. Is that right? Is how do you get that? In this case it would work, but CloudFormation is then done. And then there's no way to trigger a rollback. Or if not using code deploy, like just deploying any change to the CDK code, CloudFormation Oh yeah, it's done. And until it's done, I cannot do anything else. And if it's done, there's no way to roll back. Right. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So this 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 is a, a, um, a this is a challenge. And uh, in the reference implementation, uh, the way that was solved was through a a new CDK construct that was created inside the reference implementation that uh, is a custom resource that not only works uh, talks to code deploy to create the um, ECS deployment, but also monitors the deployment progress and waits for it to complete. So that was solved uh, in the reference implementation. Um, and uh, actually it was recently just published last week as its own construct to the CDK Construct Hub. Um, I'll, I'll share a link with you, but this uh, construct is specifically for um, doing um, CDK deployments and adding that wait time for uh, ECS through code deploy. Uh, and and it, it it helps with that rough edge there. It doesn't totally solve the problem you bring up because um, it doesn't help with, okay, what about the, the automated testing we run after we've completed that extended bake time? Uh, and so that's a, a, a separate problem that isn't addressed in the DPRA. And it doesn't solve any other deployment than code deploy. So exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But yeah, because then it's, with all the documentation, it's always like, yeah, rolling back is always something that's left out because it's hard. Maybe we should, yeah, I should just write a 
pure FAQ or a PFR for this and say, yeah, please, this, this is it, please do it. it. I think it should be a feature in CloudFormation natively because then it would solve it no matter what tooling you're using, no matter what pipeline you're using. If CloudFormation supports this feature, you can use it everywhere. What is your vision for this uh, almost like um, a Git commit history where you could tell CloudFormation revert back to this prior revision of a of a stack or, or how, how would you see that? To have change sets, basically, I don't think we need to go back multiple revision. Mm. But, okay, please store the latest version or the, the, yeah, the previous version of currently running so you can do, please go back. Got it. Yeah, that'd be really cool. It would be one thing and having this bake time, like when you're done, issue an event and wait for somebody to tell you to continue. So before you're doing the cleanup phase, so update, complete, cleanup in progress. When this ha moment happens, wait here until I tell you to continue. Then I can run unit tests there and say, oh, yeah, that's not happening, go back. Because rolling back during the deployment is something else than after deployment, because previous resources will still be there and things like that. So I want to have two options when to roll back. Um, I'd love to work with you to help get that PFR added. That would be perfect. The cloud formation. Yeah, that, that, I, I understand that's a that's because really I, that, cool. I think that's the missing piece for rollbacks because rollbacks should be the thing and not any other crazy things I've seen in reality. Mm. Right on. Cool. Okay, okay. let's um, proceed to the gamma stage. Okay, so um, our, our beta stage is a, this is an environment that is just early feedback. Uh, this would just be used by the, the team that owns the application. No other teams are integrating with the, the beta stage. So it's just a place to run your tests in isolation. Now the gamma stage is a environment that other uh, teams might integrate with. So their gamma environments would point to our gamma environments. And so this is an opportunity to deploy the software and also have an extended bake time where we can get feedback from other teams that are consuming our application in addition to our automated tests. Uh, a lot of the things are very similar here. We're going to launch the environment. We're going to do a database deployment. We deploy our software. Um, but then we're going to also be running synthetic tests in this environment in the in the case that we're not getting traffic from um, our, our consumers of our application. It's also an opportunity to run performance tests uh, against the environment and, ensure, and verify that um, response times, throughput, error rates are within the um, expected ranges. Uh, run resilience tests, force things like um, fault injections inside the environment and verify the application performs correctly. Um, and also this is the place where DAST would be done, dynamic application security testing uh, in, in the environment. Uh, similar deployment model. So we're, we're deploying using um, traffic shifting and progressive deployments, giving bake times before then uh, moving into a production stage. Production stage has an opportunity for a manual approval at the beginning of that stage. Uh, and then there is, again, the same idea where you're doing database deployments, launching the environment, uh, and then concluding with uh, synthetic tests to help ensure that uh, the application is healthy during that bake time. Yeah, that sounds perfect. So I think it's, as always with, with these reference things, it's not a completely new thing, but it's one centralized location where it's written down and you can point to and say, yes, now we're talking about the same thing. And I think that's that's a perfect thing about it. It's like you can point people to it and discuss about the same information and not, yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. So Yep. 
Well, one thing that we tried to do a little different with this is rather than publish it to some of the through some of the existing mechanisms that we have for publishing content, this is published in GitHub. And, and that was intentional because we want to work with the community to get feedback and, and evolve this. So I talked about uh, the feedback we heard from Vlad earlier. Uh, that, that was like pure gold, very important feedback that we've been able to use and then apply um, to future updates. Uh, but it's also open for uh, PRs. So uh, the, the content itself is just marked down in a GitHub repository. It's linked in the top right corner of the, of the site. Uh, and the, the reference implementations, the source code for those is also in that same repo. Uh, and so we're looking for, we're working with others to contribute their own reference implementations. That might be partners, uh, other software vendors that want to showcase their tools in a reference architecture manner, uh, or other uh, customers that have opinions on how these ought to be um, constructed. And so we, we really think that the way to capture this is to we, we had to start somewhere put some opinions down and then start the conversation and then go back to the source code as the place where we can talk about how to improve this and what's missing and and what maybe what did we get wrong what are the challenges so uh definitely looking for feedback from uh the community on how to improve this going forward yeah that's perfect and i really love that it's a living document and not a blog post article that's posted once mm -hmm. and then outdated in a, in some weeks um, so it's really something that's living in it. And if things change, it could change. And it's still pointing to that's the current reference implementation because things right. will change. CDK will change, other tools will change, or there will be new opinions like, oh yeah, that was a good idea, but it's not anymore because the service, the underlying service changed. Yep. Uh, so like, here's the, here's the best, for example, um, there was a new service announced at reInvent, Amazon Code Catalyst. Uh, there is a new reference implementation that's going through final review that is a DPRA reference implementation in Code Catalyst. So we'll see that show up soon. So it's a, it's it we will be able to use this as a way of uh, continuing to provide guidance as new tooling and techniques come to the forefront. Was also fun though is that the uh, Code Catalyst has this concept of blueprints, which are ways to quickly get started not just with building a workflow, but also with the source code that goes along with it. Uh, and so we were able, we had the opportunity to um, uh, provide a blueprint uh, out of the box with the announcement at reInvent uh, of the DPRA. So there's a blueprint in um, Code Catalyst available now called the um, DevOps Deployment Pipeline. And it is the exact implementation of the DPRA created by the DPRA team, um, demonstrating how to very quickly get started building one of these deployment pipelines uh, through Code Catalyst. Yeah, that's perfect. And yeah, to the listeners, if you want to know more about Code Catalyst, the previous episode was our first look at Code Catalyst. And one of the next episodes will be um, with a Doug Clausen product manager of Code Catalyst to talk about the new service. So that's something we're definitely, um, yeah, talking a lot about. Yeah, I was looking at, at this project for several months in beta and giving feedback. So I'm really looking forward for the Code Catalyst GA somewhere in the future where all these things really shine and work and we have a new cool deployment tool. So I'm really happy that the DPRA is also integrated and not, oh yeah, but we don't support a new tool. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, so it's it's really cool. So given that this is the thing, you mentioned a little bit why it exists. I think we, we discussed this because there's a need for this uh, and the guidance. Um, now I think there needs to be more visibility to it because I think so many people are trying to understand how these pipelines work. So what are the ways AWS is planning to promote this that this is the way to do a pipeline. So getting rid of all the other references that are not the same and mm. make sure people know about this. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so there's a there's a couple of things that we're working on. Uh, there's a couple of blog posts that'll be coming out to start to bring some awareness to the general public about the DPRA. Uh, also creating additional reference architectures. So that's the compute image pipeline. How do you manage MIs or Docker images, those, those foundational images? Um, account fleet management, how do you manage your fleet of accounts through deployment pipelines, uh, dynamic configuration, uh, a, a pipeline to manage your feature flags, to manage that configuration that sits outside that source repo. Um, so th those are all coming soon and there will be uh, announcements for those as they come out. Uh, we're also working with the partner community, both the technology partners that provide tools in this space and giving them an opportunity to contribute to the DPRA, and by doing so, uh, back to your point, Ocean, like really helping to provide a, a common place for people to have this conversation. Uh, and so we will have the ability to, to, to reach customers through the partners because then they will be able to take the reference implementations they build and, and share those with their customers. Um, we're working with AWS ProServe, building new offerings. We've released a couple offerings uh, in, in Q3 and Q4 around, uh, helping customers quickly get started with building deployment pipelines in their AWS environments. And that's built around the DPRA. And so that's an opportunity to use it uh, in some of these, these um, larger customers that, that we get to work. And it's perfect. And I would love to see that for blog posts about any solutions or tools that it would be like mandatory. If you have a pipeline, please make sure that it's similar to DPRA. So not like, yeah, we, we have a blog post that shows how to do something and it's a completely different way. Like, yeah, maybe that's not a good idea because it's still on an official AWS website and yeah, and it's contradicting. So it would be perfect if blog posts talking about deployments use the same mechanism. I like it. Cool. Thank you for calling that out. Um, that, that, that's great feedback. I think one of the best examples, because I've seen this so often with other uh, providers and also AWS blog posts, and that's why I want to emphasize it. Um, again, is what, what you mentioned about building your artifacts once and deploying them to all your environments. And there's so many reference, or not reference implementations, but blog posts that do the quick and dirty way of like, yeah, run CDK deploy multiple times. No, because CDK deploy is synthesizing again. So you mm -hmm. don't want to synthesize for every stage because then you're building new artifacts. And that should be a like, no, please don't advise customers to use CDK deploy multiple times. Yeah, what's really cool is that CDK pipelines does a good job of uh, solving that for you with the fact that it it out of the box creates a, a synth um, stage where it, where it synthesizes the the um, uh, artifacts and then also shares those for you into the accounts uh, rather than um, encouraging that pattern that you're talking about where you just run CDK deploy in each environment. Yeah, the, the CDK pipelines do it, but a lot of blog posts don't. And I think there is really some um, yeah, interest in this topic because if I'm looking at my uh, website's and the analytics, 
I think like 60% of the um, visitors are visiting my how to do CDK deployments. <laughs> so besides all the other content is like how to do CDK deployments. So there <laughs> is some need out there. And if it's on an official source, that might be even better. Okay, got it. That's nice. Thank you. So yeah, we talked a little bit about the project um, before we wrap up. So what's the, the future you, you imagine for this on other things? You, you mentioned the, the pipeline, different pipeline types. Any other things that you plan for this? Different pipeline types and different reference limitations. So not everybody's using uh, AWS code pipeline and CDK. So we, 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 want, we wanted to make sure the DPRA, the reference architecture, was tool agnostic. So when you re when you read the reference architecture, you won't see any uh, guidance on use CDK or use code pipeline. Uh, when you look at the reference implementation, that's demonstrating here's how to build a DPRA pipeline using this set of tools. So it's providing the the how the answer to the how. Um, and so we we need more of those. We need to demonstrate well how do I uh, build a pipeline using GitHub Actions and Terraform that there's that's a there, there's a lot of customers that have that set of tools uh, and so we want to build reference implementations of that tool chain and so there's a uh, a roadmap that uh, needs to be made public it's not public yet but will be made public on the um, GitHub repo demonstrating uh, or, or showcasing what the future is going to include what are those other tool chains um, that we want to build reference implementations for. Uh, and and really what we'd love to do is not own building all those ourselves, but either work with uh, thought leaders or other customers or uh, those technology partners that own those tools to, to build them and, and use their learnings to really showcase that in the DPRA. So that's, that's where we see in the future is uh, bringing some more folks to the table to help uh, showcase more more implementations of these um, reference architectures. Yeah, that sounds perfect. So yeah, I think this has really been great. Um, where can people find more about you online? Um, so you could find me on Twitter, uh, Nectos, N-E-K-T-O-S, uh, uh, or find me on GitHub, uh, contributing to uh, things like the, the, the DPRA. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, thanks, it was a lot of fun, really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Thorsten Höger, and I hope you join me again next time for Cloud Automation Weekly.